Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. We've got Sydney FC striker Adam LaFondra in the studio today and alongside Michael Bridges, we've got some great stories and insight from all the big issues in the Premier League and the world of football. David Wiener with you here for another edition of the Gagginpod and as we head into six straight days of Euro 2020 qualifying, there's nowhere else to start but Raheem Sterling versus Joe Gomez at England camp. Let's get straight into it. Yeah, we've got a big episode ahead. Lots to get stuck into. Bridgie, welcome. Good to see you again. Great to be back, Dave. Good to see you. And Adam LaFondra, Sydney FC striker, back at Optus HQ. Great to have you here for the podcast. Welcome. Cheers. Thanks very much. Great to be here. How have you been travelling? Yeah, been good. Um, you know, obviously we've had a bit of a down week, but um, been training hard and you know, did a, an F45 challenge at weekend as well. So, you know, I'm fully rested for the for the weekend ahead. Hang on, fully rested from an F45 week on a week off. What's that all about? Uh, yeah, um, they got in touch with the club about me doing a the playoff challenge at, at Darling Harbour, and you know, I said, yeah, we had a free week, so I went down there. Um, not much training for for it, and um, you know, obviously, <laughs> uh, did my best, but it's um, it's one of them where you you feel the effects a few days after. It's a v- it's a very different style of uh, fitness, I suppose. Yeah, I, to be fair, I did a lot of it in the pre sort of the pre preseason just to keep me ticking over, and you know something I enjoyed enjoyed doing. It's ten minutes work, um, you know, it's nice and sunny, so I can't really argue too. Uh, much. That's what you did in your week off, Bridgie, as well. <laughs> Certainly not, Dave. <laughs> Looking at the stature of the two players, I think I need the F forty five a lot more than you do. Believe you me. <laughs> we got the Gagenpod regime just gone up another level this week. We've got Torrin Sorensen putting in a shame one week. Adam, the next week we're going to have to. Fix something up here. We'll talk a little bit more, Adam, about uh, your club, Sydney FC, and the big game this weekend against Melbourne Victory a little bit later on. But I'm really keen to kick off and get both your gentlemen's thoughts ahead of our massive six-day straight of Euro 2020 qualification, which is going to reach its climax. We're going to know who's in and who's not by this time next week. But the talking point at the moment, of course, is the England camp, where Gareth Southgate, Gareth Southgate, I should say, has obviously axed Raheem Sterling from this squad as the fallout continues from Manchester City's loss to Liverpool in the Premier League. He turned up to training, and according to reports, which are very, very specific in their detail, had a really um, specific altercation with Joe Gomez, where he said to him, well, you think you're the big man now? And things kicked off from there. Jordan Henderson had to play Peacemaker, and Gareth Southgate put a line in the sand. Bridgie. Your reaction to that and Gareth Southgate's actions? Yeah, it's incredible to think what has unfolded. But when you see what happened at the weekend, it was Liverpool against City. It's the you know the, the game we've been building up for the whole season. Um, as we've been talking at Optus, saying which way it was going to go. Players get animated. You, you get excited. You get upset after games. Emotions run high. And to think that the England camp was... Put, Obviously, you've got to get together as an England camp so soon after a game like that. Um, I mean, the game itself sent shockwaves around the around the world and the players had a little bit of a spat on the park and to see they get together at the England camp, things like this do happen and they've happened over the years. 
because I, I've, I speak to a lot of the ex-players that were involved with the England setup. There was a massive rivalry between Liverpool and United players and it was unsettling for the England camp. And that is still to this day with the likes of your Robbie Fowlers and your Randy Coles. You play with them in these Masters events and Liverpool have their own little <laughs> click over there. United have their own click to the right and we sit in no man's land in the middle where the ex-players get together and we're kind of like, this is weird. That's the rivalry they've got and this is what is happening with City and Liverpool at this moment in time. And I think Southgate's handled it really well until this moment because England had a fantastic World Cup. They're yeah. playing well. He seems to have settled that kind of animosity or the, the rivalry between the players, but this has just magnified it. And obviously, emotions were running high. And I think Southgate's actually made the right call because if there has been a bit of a fight in camp and he said, you know, still it might have been in the wrong, let yourself defuse. I think England are going to go on and win and qualify. It's not a, a major, major opportunity. There's players that can play in his position as well. And I think it's been handled very, very well. But um, the I just hope it doesn't materialise and develop anymore. Yeah, you know, um, with Sterling, I think, you know, Southgate's handled it well. But I just think maybe omitting him from the squad was a bit too much. Maybe you keep it in-house and, you know, you keep things close to your chest. But obviously because the game you know, against Montenegro is not really um, a big deal, it maybe sends a bigger message to the rest of the squad that, you know, they can't bring that frustration from the games they've had previous into the camp and, you know, disrupt the, the harmony they've got there. And, you know, I think Sterling's such a big player, probably the England's best player at the yeah. moment in time, um, to send that message to the rest of the squad that, you know, no one's untouchable. So don't have any ideas of disrupting the flow of the squad. Well, it's interesting because this is almost drawn a line in the sand now. So if any other players have this kind of, yeah, of course, animosity yeah. towards each other, he's got to take the same stance on it. So... Like I say, I just hope it's 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 a one-off. He's handled this situation. Um, fights go on in clubs all the time behind closed doors. It would be interesting to see if it was a good team who they were playing and something was on the line if that was uh, the same yeah. situation because I can't see Sterling being left out for France if we needed three points to so, qualify. So let's say it's a like massive that. game and this kind of thing happens and it's Harry Kane fighting Harry Maguire. <laughs> it's the two Harrys going head-to-head. Head. You know, he's... He's not letting anyone go. I don't think. I think you've got to just you know keep but, it. He's going to keep it in house. But then the manager's changing his yeah of his course. authority. Of course, but I just think you know you imagine Harry Kane not playing because he had a little bit of a scuffle. I can't, I can't imagine that. I can't even Sterling now. Obviously, it's unimaginable to think that Raheem Sterling is not going to play for England this Thursday. Unle- well, exactly. But unless they've had a chat and Sterling Southgate have said, you know what it is, I think it's best if I do go and sit, take a back seat for this week and put it out how you, how you want and we'll try and tarnish it. But do you think in a way, given what you said about the, the club and country from your era, and that was an era Southgate played in, he's had such success in creating this uh, atmosphere around England squad that it's all about unity. It's almost like, and the timing with the draw, England aren't qualified yet, but as you say, it's not the biggest game they've ever played. Um as an opportunity bobbed up for him to go, actually, I can reassert myself right here and go, do you know what? You can do whatever you want on the weekend, but when you come in here, we're England and, and we're all together. Yeah, most definitely. I, I just think as well, it reaffirms his position of authority. Um, I don't think he's seen as someone who's got a lot of authority in, in England. Um, you know, I think as a player looking on, he's sort of the person who's like friends with obviously the players and et cetera, that's created this great harmony, but now it shows he's a real author, authoritarian <laughs> With um, you know, getting rid of his best player for for a game, obviously they're not qualified. But realistically, you expect England to to beat Mont- Montenegro without Sterling or with Sterling. So it's not as if it's um, you know, a big miss him not being there. Last one, Bridgie. Though, is it is it a good thing to see a player still simmering twenty four, thirty six hours after a defeat like that, or, or have you got to be able to walk back into a camp and go right? It's time to switch 
time to switch moods and um and and get on with the job. I think it's quite refreshing to see players in this day and age still have the the anger in being upset at losing because it, w- it was one thing that really upset me playing when I came over here first playing for the Newcastle Jets and some of the young kids just didn't get a loss. So you'd be on the bus coming back from, let's say, a long trip um, to New Zealand or from um, Perth and you're flying back, you're on the bus and you want to try and get over that defeat as quick as you can but in your own way. And when I when I used to hear some of the younger lads laughing and joking straight after a defeat, I'm thinking, are, are you kidding me? This this is annoying. Yeah, I know what you mean. The, the, uh, just the culture is so different from... 10, 15 years ago now, um, even more so, um, you know, uh, a lot of the times gaffers would come up the bus if you hear you laughing after you get beat, five, five, many times getting beat 4-0 on, bu- on the bus back from, say, Bournemouth or something like that, and, you know, someone cracks a joke out, the gaffer's straight up and saying, you know, what's funny, we just got beat 4-0, you know, think about your game sort of thing, and, you know, I think that sort of side of football's definitely been, you know, pushed to the side. And that's why I think this moment is nice to know that he's still stewing Two days after thinking, what could I have done better to win that game for City and, and the, the magnitude of the game as well. So it, for me, it, it's actually pleasing because it's given us a bit more um, belief in the the players in this day and age. And last one on this though, Rio Ferdinand was sort of a bit of a contrarian in what he said. And he, he thought that Southgate had maybe thrown him under the bus. And, you know, there was this altercation. Two, two, there's always you know, two sides to every story. But also we know what a profile Raheem Sterling has and some of the treatment he's caught from the tabloids and so on. What did you make of... So he had that point of view. Gary Neville took the point of view of line in the sand. In terms of, is there an argument that maybe this should have been dealt with in-house and, and Southgate didn't need to make the big media palaver out of it? I think the media palaver has come. I think that's what's upset, upset Gareth Moore is because this has come from a, a third source. And he wants to know how it's got out, whether it was from the hotel itself or the training ground. There's something gone. The media are going to find out regardless. Yeah, of course. But it gives you enough time to try and work something out and yeah. sort it out. But this has been magnified in the in the manner that it's happened. I think that's what has upset him more. Um, and I, I take Gary Neville's side. The line in the sand for me, he's gone for the authority one. But I still think the players and the staff would have talked to see what was the best outcome. Mm. I don't think it's been a knee-jerk reaction. Yeah, definitely. I totally agree on that point. Um, you know, obviously Rio, Rio's coming, you know, to back up Sterling. Um, Sterling's had, you know heaps of bad press for the last what, four years or whatever because he's not been performing to you know his standards but now he is you know now he's the shining light of the England team he's the jewel in Man City's crown as well um, so obviously he's seen it as that he's sort of thrown him to the wolves of the press to you know devour him again um, but I don't think the press will take maybe you know that sort of stronger attack on him because they've probably seen what they've done to him and what they've done to his family over the recent years with the negative press they've given him Any uh any good scuffles, but you've always got a story from back in the day. <laughs> you've got to, you've got to have seen a few decent canteen bust ups in your time, mate. I've seen a few. Um, and the, do you all remember the Newcastle scenario with Kieran Dyer and Lee oh, Bowyer yeah, on yeah, the field? Yeah. I mean, two players fighting each other. I wasn't involved in, the, in that game, but watching that was kind of like this is unbelievable what's unfolding in front of our eyes. But when I knew Lee Bowyer was involved. And his nickname was the Firework. He had the shortest fuse <laughs> in the world. He could he could fight over the smallest little thing. And we were in um, playing Derby County away. We're in the canteen at the hotel, and you'd, you'd go and get your buffet behind closed doors. There's nobody else in there. And the players we were in there first, without the staff, and um, they were having a meeting. They said, "Go on, help yourselves, boys. Get tucked in." And they left the room, and a bit of ravioli hit me on the side of the face. So the lads were all laughing. I saw the queue at the buffet cart, so I picked the ravioli up and I went to throw it back at Michael Dubry. 
And it kind of mid-flight took a little bit of a diversion and smacked Lee Boyer in the face. Now, the noise, it wasn't a small bit of ravioli. It was a big, massive square bit. And the noise it made was brilliant. So all the lads were laughing. There was a big <laughs> slap noise. And, and it was kind of a bit, bit spread in his face. Now, it didn't take much. Lee Boyer literally just picked up the spaghetti bolognese tray oh. and the pasta and just ran at me on the table <laughs> to throw it on us. So as I'm trying to dissect what's going to happen here, I've obviously jumped up and we've started swinging punches at each other, but we've got spaghetti bolognese and pasta all over us. And I'll never forget, at that moment, we're having a big scrap. The lads are trying to separate us, but half of them are laughing. And then David O'Leary came in and he was like, what the bleeding hell's going on here? And he he handled that really well because me and Lee looked at each other and when I saw spaghetti hanging off Lee's face, even though I had a black eye, it was, um, it was really good to handle. And he said, listen, if you're going to continue this on, one of you has got to go leave the trip and we just yeah. laughed and said we'll get on with it shit happens yeah. so by the way when did you say that was, was that that wasn't pre-game was it that would have been the night before the match yeah in the hotel on the friday night <laughs> you know, what happened the next day big, big, oh we were good mates lee, lee lived over the road we, we had a laugh and a joke and we know lee was the firework we had a swing we had a punch and we we, we had a very good team that got us together and the lads laughed it off <laughs> can you top that i don't know if you're still playing i don't know if you can top that <laughs> maybe not top that um i had a we had a sort of an altercation not me per se. I was obviously on the outside. I'm a lover, not a fighter. Um, <laughs> but we were doing like 5v5s tournament and we had Royston Drenf at the time who was from Real Madrid and he tore the centre half up in, tra- in the training, megged him a couple of times, said, you can't mark me, you can't do this. And obviously as a centre half, he took particularly interest in this. So when the ball, you know, just broke free, he decided to lift him and lifted him massive. And then he was over the ball Trying to def- trying to protect it still on the floor and the centre half still thought he could get the ball and decided to boot Royston while he was on the floor. So then that all started and they were pulling each other away and oh, I'm going to whack you, I'm going to knock you out, I'm going to do this. So that was simmering. We come in from training and we had a gym set straight after. So we've gone in the gym and Pierce the centre half. He's just stood there. He just takes no nonsense. Just blank expression. Just like whatever, mate. And Royston's steaming, walking around the training <laughs> walks in the gym. Comes in and like Joby McEnough, the captain at the time, goes, No, 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 just calm down, just calm down. Next minute, whack! Royston swung at Percy, hit uh, Joby McEnough in the neck, knocked him out. <laughs> so he's out of the next game through concussion. Percy, them, them two are scuffling on the floor, the scuffling outside on the like on the, the path on outside the gym. This is definitely top nine. <laughs> and then, like, then obviously, it's got we've all broke it up. And the next minute, shaking hands. And then everyone's like, Where's Joby? Joby's in with a physio, he's slumped over on the foot, he's like, can't see, can't do this. So he, he got ruled out of the game because obviously he got concussion from getting hit yeah. in the net from Royston. And then in the end, they had to shake hands, take us for a meal to Gauchos on the river in London, pay obviously the bill. Um, and <laughs> Joby was fuming because he obviously missed out on his yeah. appearance fee for the weekend because he played <laughs> pretty much every game. And he was like, look, you're going to have to pay my appearance fee. Um, but no, he never got reimbursed for it. And, you know, to be fair, it was that was probably the best best group of lads we had as well. We had a really good group of lads at Reading. Um, but, you know, then things happened. But again, quickly, the lads got back on with it. Yeah, 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 yeah of course. That's that's what happens. You know what happens in football. Um, you can have a quick spat straight away and then a day later, you're best friends again. Um, it didn't take too kindly, though, uh, Wayne Bridge at the time. When we went for a meal at Gaucho's, he got um, three shots of whiskey for like £600 each. So <laughs> the bill went from about two grand to about three and a half grand real quick. And they were like, oh, who's having these? 
and no one drank him. They just left him on the side just to put the <laughs> oh, bill up. Dear, oh dear, what what do they what do they put in the papers that week? Uh, you know, out bracket five aside <laughs> post match reaction. Jim, <laughs> um, some of the media cover ups are brilliant, Dave. I'll tell you. Oh dear. Now we'll touch a little bit more on England. We took a massive, massive, very entertaining segue there. So we'll come back to England when we look ahead at the Euro twenty twenty playoffs a little bit later on. Um, but let's. Stick with the Sterling Gomez theme because obviously we've had a few days to digest that incredible game on Monday morning where Liverpool made that statement, went nine points clear of Manchester City, eight points clear at the top of the table. We won't talk about the game so per se because there's been a few days that everyone's had their say about that. But I'd love to know, Adam, your take on the title race now and the consequences from that incredible performance and win. Well, it's surely over. Um I think that's why it's so such a hell game for City because obviously the decision with Alexander Arnold swings the game massively, um, and they're seen as, as a chance to to close a gap, put a little bit of a dent in Liverpool's confidence. But they can't do that now. You know, it's so early in the season to say it's Liverpool's to throw away, but it literally is. You can't see anyone beating them if they're front three, stay fit. Then you know you might as well give them the trophy now. How can they? They're like it's to the point now where if they can't win it this year, it's is, is it like when? I think if it's if it's not now, it's never. And that I hope it's not now, but you know, <laughs> I hope it's more never. But because yeah. we'll have to listen to all Liverpool yeah, fans exactly. day and night. Exactly, but you know that's football. I think they've been the best team. Them and Liv- um, them and Manchester City have been the best team for the past few years, and it looks as if they've finally knocked off City as the best team in England. I mean, even Pep Guardiola said that as well. He yeah. came out and said this is the best team in England, mm. um, and that is kudos itself. But Dave, going back to your your question. The is it over? Well, not is it over, but you know the consequences. Mm. Liverpool's next few matches: Crystal Palace, Brighton, Everton, Bournemouth, and Watford. I can't see them losing a game there. Mm. Where City have got to go: Chelsea, Newcastle United, Burnley, Manchester United, and Arsenal. the The difference in them fixtures is absolutely massive. So I can only see Liverpool extending their lead, um, and I, I I can't see. I agree. I can't see anybody. Touching Liverpool this season, I think they're going to go and and achieve the title. It's actually testament what you just read out, and Liverpool have played more teams in that top six, top seven. Um, it's actually testament to their ability to ground out results, regardless of how they're playing. Because up until that City game, I think everyone would agree that they weren't hitting full stride ever. But yeah. whatever that was thrown at them, they were finding a way. Yeah, definitely. You know, um, that's what good teams do. You know, the teams that win the titles often, you know, when they're playing badly, they win. And, you know, Liverpool are doing that. City have been doing that for years, but they ultimately couldn't just find a way past past Liverpool on, on the day. And, you know, Liverpool now are probably going to take this in the stride, get even more confidence, even cockier, and, you know, take it from there because ultimately, it, like I say, it's their title to lose now and hopefully they do lose it, but I can't see that. And it was funny, we were discussing this a few weeks back. Klopp and Liverpool want the Premier League. Yeah. Man City and Pep Guardiola and the, the whole of the board and directors and the owners want the Champions League. So it's almost like the focus has shifted yeah. from one dimension to the other. Yeah. They want what the other has. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. Definitely. Let me ask you about Pep. Obviously, he had the big uh, thank you so much at the end of the <laughs> game to to the to the match officials. And was that um, Mike Oliver? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's he's been touchy for a few weeks now. But how, what do you read in his behaviour? We've spoken a little bit about it on this pod and on the show. But given now how badly he wants the Champions League, it's been since 2011. He's stressed. What do you can he keep his composure? This is almost going to be a really interesting test of his. Uh, I don't know if it's the end of his time at City, but it might it might be his legacy. It's a test of his characteristics. It's a test of um, his managerial skills. How he keeps his composure? Because I'll never forget there was um, Kevin Keegan at Newcastle United. They were twelve <laughs> points clear, 
Alex Ferguson was sat at home watching, I think it was 12 points difference. Yeah, yeah, it was. Was, yeah And Kevin Keegan lost his composure on national television. Yeah. And, you know, I would love I it. I would love oh, it yeah. if we were using all this <laughs> and just lost it completely. Now I'm watching that as a young kid going, wow, this is interesting. You don't know the dynamics. When, when you're older, Alex Ferguson must have been sat at home with a cup of tea or a red, red wine going, we've won the title. This guy's gone. So Pep doesn't want to show too many cracks in his armour. Um, I think he's got to keep his composure because, you know, it's like a pack of wolves when the, when the other managers smell it and sense it. Um, upsetting referees as well. It doesn't go, yeah. it doesn't help. You've got to, you're going to have Michael Oliver. He's a top-class referee. He's going to manage, um, officiate many of City's games this season and the players as well. Yeah, of They'll course, see yeah. it. So I, I, I don't think it was a good sign, but I, I, I love it because the more <laughs> animated I see Pep Guardiola, who's one of the top managers, makes me feel... Um, Half human again, yeah. knowing that he he is human. But could it cost him the Champions League? Like if we've seen in in the last few years, even at Bayern, even at Barca, he's made like big calls in those big games. You almost go, whoa, wow. He has to almost keep a lid on things here, doesn't it? Yeah, of course. I think that radiates to the squad as well. If he's you know panicking per se and you know losing his cool all the time, you know that's your leader of your football club. And as a, as a team looking on and you see your manager ranting and raving and kicking and whatever, at the, at the fourth official, at the referee, then I don't think it sets a good example. You know, um, the best the best managers normally just keep the cool. Obviously, they blow up at times when they think they're completely wrong. But a lot of the time, they're, uh, you know, the beacon of like calmness. And, you know, they, they sort of let the squad do the talking for them and what they've done in the week do the talking for them. And I think, you know, obviously, injuries have hampered City a lot this season with the, with the centre-half partnership as well. So I think, obviously, he's a little bit frustrated with, Maybe the transfer dealings they did in the summer as well because they didn't get enough covering and he's he's obviously just taking it out because he he doesn't like losing you know he's he's a born winner and he's won everything you know for the last whatever ten years. I think there's one thing he'll never take it out on his players. Yeah, he's taken out on the officials. You see him getting very animated. Can you remember Phil Brown at Hull City when he yeah, sat all he the sat players down, around yeah, at half time at City, time, it, yeah. At City. Yeah. and he sat all the players down in front of the away fans and pointed at the players and said, "It's not us. It's not me. It's them." Yeah. That's one way to lose a dressing room there and then. They got so, relegated, didn't they? I think they got relegated yeah, yeah. that season. I think yeah. lost Munoz every game after that as well. Oh, so. I mean, I, I was on loan at Sydney FC at the time. Ah, okay, yeah. And I was looking back because I couldn't stand the man. I'm yeah. thinking, yeah, good on you. Good good riddance. And yeah. Nick Barnby text is going, look what's happened here. Mm. And it was fascinating. That's one way to lose. So I can't see Pep doing that. But again, when he's setting bad, ex- setting yeah. bad examples yeah. of habits, you know, the players will pick up on that. And you, the last thing you want is the City players going around and hassling referees now going mm. forward because it's not going to do their cause any good. Yeah, it'd be so interesting to watch. Now, we said Liverpool are nine points clear of City, but I had to check myself when uh, riding things during the week because they're not nine points clear. They're eight points clear because of Leicester and Chelsea. Um, what have you made of the top four situation, Adam? And uh, is that race done? Yeah, I'd say, I'd say so. Um, you know, I hope United... Pick up some form, break into the top four. You know, Leicester have been a dark horse. All Newcastle season. United, <laughs> come off it, you. <laughs> they're, they're looking to start at the bottom of the three. Um, but you know, for me, Leicester have been unbelievable. Um, Vardy's been sensational. You know, if he if he wanted to come back for England, he'd be a great option. And obviously Chelsea, you know, Lampard's done a magnificent job with all the young players there. You know, Tammy Abraham is looking unbelievable as a number nine for them. And, you know, it just shows what players they've got if they give them a chance, what they can do for them. And, you know, we have a good coach who's coaching them and giving them confidence. They've come on leaps and bounds. Look at Mason Mount as well, who's, you know, had a season in the championship mm. with Frank Lampard and then stepped into the, the fray of the of the premiership and not looked out of place one bit. So they've got some brilliant players. And, you know, just touching on it again, the top four is, you know, 
pretty much set in stone. Like I say, a late run from Ollie's Man United would be, <laughs> would be nice, but you just can't see anyone breaking into that. Have you had too much coffee this morning? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, eternal hope, you know. You've got to have that hope as a supporter that, you know, results can turn around and we can go on a run. You know, Pogba comes back and, you know, maybe inspires us a little bit more. Well, let's jump to that since you mentioned it. I mean, you're obviously, you know, you're giving away your allegiances <laughs> there. Um, do you buy into the fact that the win against Brighton can turn the season around or was the best performance of the season? Um, they're attacking stocks, the three. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Ashal, Rashford, James together for the you know one of the first times. What, what's your read and all that? Oh, I think we should be beating them. Man United. Um, it's a, the teams against the big teams that we, where obviously we sit in and, and counter attack and do well, but we've, we're struggling breaking teams down. It looks as if we don't have enough creativity in the middle of the park. Um, we've got obviously Rashford and Martial are, are both hot and cold, but when they're hot, they're unbelievable, and when they're cold, they're you know frustrating because you know how much ability they've got. Daniel James has been a revelation since signing, probably the best player for United this season, um, but. It's it's hard really because you know a lot of hope pins on on Pogba being fit and you know dictating games and he's I don't say he struggled with that but I don't think the players around him have helped him with that I think the squad probably doesn't complement him as much as he needs you know when, when you look at him for France he's the best midfielder in the world and then you look at him for United you you wonder who that Pogba is mm. sometimes um, but his ability is matched by no one it and he's just you do, United need to be able to unlock that on a consistent basis. Where would you play him? Where would you play him if, if he came back? There's a lot of talk you play him sort of as a free roll eight because um, he did that for Juventus, but United haven't got them players to do that. Um, he has to be in a midfield free. You have to have legs around him and you have to allow him to pick and choose when he wants to work back uh, and just give him the ball as much as you can. And, you know, United have got a, a, a lot of potential in the group they've got but they've they've got really big windows coming up to mm. to see them you know resurface as a real top club again because it's pretty remarkable that you've got with Pogba out McTominay potentially out United Manchester United could have a midfield this weekend of Fred and Nemanja Matic yeah well and two players probably that Oli doesn't want um I don't think he'd see them in his ideal starting lineup um it looks as if Matic is going to be on his way out with I by seeing all the reports and stuff like that, and that he's not played this season and obviously Fred's not, you know, lit any... Uh, He's been players. a real disappointment, hasn't <laughs> he? Well, yeah, of course. Obviously, it's hard for, for any player coming to, to United to play well, but he's not done himself any favours and, you know, he's sort of getting a bit, you know, reminding us all a bit like Cleberson, you know. Um, you know <laughs> You've just taken the words <laughs> out my mouth. That's a compliment. <laughs> we're getting them sort of Brazilians instead of, um, you know, the ones that really fire us and, and what we need, but... Uh, Obviously, he's a very good player. Let's let's not be around it. But the way United have played, it's not complimented him, and he's not complimented United. So they need something different, mm. I guess. Can you take us into a dressing room with Olegan Solskjaer? What he's like as a boss? Very good. Um, I really enjoyed my time. I wouldn't have signed for Cardiff if it if it wasn't for him. He was my childhood hero. So 
I got a phone call from him just like pretty much the day I signed and he was like I'm delighted to have you I can't wait for you to sign and work with you and stuff and I was just sat in my games room just like oh my god like my heroes just rang me like I was like oh, oh, oh yeah okay I'll did see. you not think it was a wind up at first yeah a little bit boys? yeah when he when he started speaking because obviously he's quite quiet as well I was like hi um, <laughs> uh, oh hi Ollie and he's like hi Adam and I was like oh, I don't know how to start this <laughs> like it was ridiculous and quality um got into training obviously the first couple of weeks of you know it's tra- it's pre-season so you don't really work too much um football wise but after that, um, he came to see me and was like, look, you're going to be a big player for me. Um, you know, I really like you, et cetera, et cetera, which made me feel brilliant um, and really enjoyed working with him. His, his tactics were good. He maybe lacked a little bit of experience of the league with his backroom staff, but... Was he animated? No, not really, no. no. Um, you know, one time we, I think we got beat at home and I think he tried to be a little bit angry, but it just wasn't really him. Um, you know, pounding the tactics board or whatever, which is, you could tell it's not him. I've had a so few managers. Felt manufactured. Yeah, you know, you, you know as yourself as a football person, when someone who's not really got that in them to do that, it, it, it feels manufactured, feels a bit over the top and, and not warranted and you can sort of see through that. But like I say, I thought he was tactically very good. He just lacked a little bit of experience with his backroom staff, of, of knowledge of the championship because it's so hard and, and knowing what's required to, you know, get the result in the championship. So is he the man for United? And have you rated him so far? I think he's the man for now, yeah. Um, I think you've just got to stick with him. Um, Injuries haven't helped. Yeah, I look course. at the injury list and I look at the things that have gone on. It it, it was going to be, a, it was an easy transition at first and as soon as that pen went to paper, it was almost like the, the demons, the de- well, not the devils, there's no pun mm. intended there, but there yeah. were everybody was on his... Getting Adam Rio Ferdinand saying, yeah. give him the key oh, yeah. to the city. Ollie's, mm. Ollie's at the wheel. Yeah. Mm. So the, but then the injury struck. There was a lot more going on. The dynamics have changed. So he's, I think it's great for his future, his yeah. development. He's seen it from a winning point of view. Now he's feeling it from the, the tough sense of, and how you get through that period will make you a better manager in the long run. Whether that's with United or not, I hope it is, because I, I really like him as a, a as a character that I see yeah um, and the the impact he immediately made um so I'm I'm wishing him all the best yeah I, th- I think it'll be a success there I think the club just needs to be patient you know we're not going to win anything for the next probably two years but if we have four really good windows then we're going to be there or thereabouts um as long as the recruitment's right and we stick to the you know the strategy that we've got now obviously everyone's talks about the young British strategy which has always been United's you know philosophy really yeah where they've bought young English emerging talents or young emerging talents and turned them into stars rather than buying the stars outright and I think United have got to get back to that and playing exciting football again and and I think United will be on the rise again but it's just obviously waiting that time and not doing any knee-jerk reactions to to rectify any any bad results however bad they may be right now. Okay so they well, doesn't sound like you'd put them in your uh, underachievers or, or, or you know f- disappointments of the season so far. But who would you guys have as the as the above par and the below par teams at, as we head into the the key international break before the big Christmas fixtures wind in? Well, the below par team for me, there's a couple, and they both begin with W, and that's Watford and West Ham. Um, I had an argument with Richard Bayliss in the first show that we did. He put Watford in the relegation. I said you are absolutely mad, and they've been nothing short of disgusting. Mm. In West Ham, we're sitting in fourth, and now the you know the four games later, <laughs> it, it's incredible what's happened. They're sitting in sixteenth, and they look 
a disorganised team. So they were the two that I thought were negative. And the massive plus is Sheffield United under Wilder. Yeah. They've come into the division. I've just been watching the analysis and the game against Tottenham Hotspur. The amount of numbers that they threw forward um, and basically left themselves very exposed on the counter-attack, basically man-on-man at the back. Um, And he wasn't scared to do that. And they're having a crack and they're sitting in fifth position. Who would have thought it? Haven't got any big signings. No. Gone about the business. So what he's created, he's created a culture and environment where where they're winners. They're going to run the extra yards. The distance covered by the fullbacks was phenomenal. And I just think he, it's a credit to himself and the the club for what they've what they've done with the smallest budget ever. Even the way they attack, they've they've played that way since I played against them in League One, played against them in the Championship. They the fullback, the, mm-hmm. the centre half going overlaps and stuff like that, and you know they seem to just be an all out attack team. And the Wilder's done a fantastic job there, and I don't think he gets enough credit for for obviously what he's done because, like you say, the budget is. You know, a lot, a lot, a lot smaller, comparable to everyone else in the league. They've not splashed any cash massively, and a lot of the players have played in the the championship team, in the League One team. And I think that that's obviously part of the reason because the culture they've got in the dressing room is is breeding success for them, and they all know the tactics. It's a bit similar to Bournemouth if you look at them, and you look at the squad they've got. They've probably not changed to half their squad. They bring in new players, and if they don't fit in, he throws them away. And there's nothing worse than seeing a team. I think Middlesbrough did it under Crank. Is it Crank? Was it Crank the other manager? When they got promoted, they played beautiful attacking football in the championship. And then when I watched them in the Premier League, they were just sitting back, yeah. inviting pressure. Mm. And you're mm. kind of like, there's only so many games where you can get points playing that way. Mm. Yeah. It's it's That's like a, a, either a, a competition or a tournament where yeah. you can try and win yeah, games so and nick games yeah. like that. When it's such a skill, isn't it, Bridget? Like You look at Wilder, what he's done, he's balanced that going up. Whereas you look at Norwich, you look at Fulham last year trying to come up and play the way you want to play but not being able to adapt it to the Premier League. Well, Norwich have, Norwich have tried it yeah. and they're still trying it and then he's, I don't think he'll change his philosophy no, the way he wants to. I can see them getting some results the way they're playing. Um, I can't see him getting enough though to stay. Not, not enough, not enough. Um, Fulham, I thought there was too many players came in that were expensive and not in the, not right for what they had tried to achieve. Um, plus they changed the manager too early and went through that whole cycle. Um but no, Wilder and the players, they've they've gone the extra yard for him. Yeah, brilliant. I, I think maybe they've been overshadowed just because of all the focus on Liverpool and the fact that Leicester are back into second. Yeah. But they're surely the fairy tale story of the season. Absolutely brilliant stuff, no matter where they finish from here on in. Just quickly, will there be any sackings over the next couple of weeks? The international window always makes a few uh, heady decisions. Maybe they should be, but I don't think they will be. Um, you know, Unai Emery's looking close at Arsenal. Um, he's probably a couple of bad results away from getting... You know, obviously the sack. I think maybe Silver at Everton as mm. well. I think they've massively underachieved this season with you know the expenditure they put out each season. You know, they probably spend hundred mil every window, and they get nowhere for it. They, they end up in tenth at the end of the season. It's a so. lot of money to go backwards. Yeah, well, yeah, literally, like you're saying, um, you don't really see much improvement from them, and unfortunately, they're such a big club as well to to do that. They, they're all they're doing is keeping pace with people who finish 8 and 12, you know, and, and getting in amongst that. And that's not good enough for a club like Evan. And the man that's leading that cheerleading, for him to get the sack is Sam Allardyce. <laughs> of course he is. <laughs> he always gets the knife in every week saying, yeah. that was a rubbish performance. <laughs> of course he is. Of course he is. Well, we get a bit of a breather from the Premier League over the next couple of weeks. But as I said, plenty of football to look forward to. Uh, one of those things people can watch, of course, is you in action this weekend, Adam, when the big... 
Big Blue against Melbourne Victory on Sunday night at Jubilee Oval. A nice little stadium, that is. Um, 4th versus 7th, 6.30pm, off the back of a good win against the Jets. Now, I read with interest that you said this game is uh, as big a rivalry, if not bigger than the Sydney Derby. So you just must, the boys must just love coming into this fixture. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, when I first come, I thought, obviously, I played in the obviously Western Sydney Derby in the Cup early on in the semi-final. And then, and then we... Um, we sort of had the build-up for that, and it was big, but weren't massive. And then we had the big blue, and it was like the lads were all going, getting up the experience. Boys Broski was like, look, come on, this is the one we want. This is the one we want to smash him, we want to put them in the place, etc., etc." And, you know, that that to me just spelled out that they seem Melbourne Victory is a bigger, you know, prize than, than Western Sydney. Um and, you know, I thrived off that. I love playing in them games. I love playing in big games where there's, there's something on the line, the the talking points, the bragging the bragging rights, etc. And, you know, these games are, you know, the best ones in your career to play because you, you can ultimately change the future of that game if you're the main impact on that game as well. So, um, you know, I love playing in them. I can't wait for Sunday to come. How's, uh, how's Costa Barbarossa's been this week? Yeah, he's been really good. You know, we um, him and Alex Barmio, and we, we give him digs. Obviously, before the Western game, we were giving Alex, just calling him a snake and stuff. And, you know, Costa will get the same this this week as well. Every time he says something, we just hiss at him and stuff like that, um, you know, just to welcome him to the group. And But he's been fantastic. You know, I've loved playing up front with him. He's he's settled really well. I think the, the group's probably better this season than it was last season, which is surprising to say, considering we won the GF. Um and I think, obviously, we're going to go close again this season. Did you score in the last game against them? Yeah, of course. How many? Two. Damn. <laughs> I won't let Adam can add to this one, Bridgie, but you reckon, uh, I know Sydney are only fourth at the moment, but uh, you reckon they're one of the favourites or the pace setters? Oh, without a shadow of a doubt. I think we mentioned this um, four or five weeks ago. I was saying I fancy Sydney FC um, or City, Melbourne City, to be the, the teams that will go on and have a crack this season. Um, obviously, Bimby, Steve Corrick has come into the job. He's been next player. He knows the DNA. Rob Stanton, the assistant. I'm doing the pro diploma with Rob. Um, he's methodical in what he does. He's, his research is, is absolutely brilliant. I think it's a, a good sidekick um, since uh, you fuck had, had left, you know. And I think that's a, a like-for-like replacement. So, all in all, the players that they've got as well. Uh, could do with another forward, but um, <laughs> no, they're, they're absolutely flying, and I, I fancy fancy Sydney to be in around the mix definitely. How's it been going from the success of last year? Um, Bimby's obviously started like a house on fire, of course. But as to keep you guys, it might sound odd, but obviously motivated. You've won what you won last year. Can you give an insight into how you guys have, have come into this season and look to to kick on and, and go to another level? Well, yeah, you easily forget about your wins. You you know, as soon as I won the GF, I was thinking about the next one. Um, I think individually you have your own targets, your own goals, and, and you won't be at Sydney FC if you've not got the hunger to win more than one. Um, you know, like this season for me is all about doing better than I did last season. I don't want to, you know, score less than 18 goals this season because I'll see that as a big disappointment for me. Um, I want to win the Premiers. I want to win the GF as well. Um, and I think every player has individual goals where they want to better from last season because that's the personal standard they have and the team standard we have and culture to drive each other on to, to get better. Do you guys, because um, I know, you know, Bridgie obviously talked to people, the people who come here, they talk about the A-League, the standard of it, that kind of thing. When people ask you back home what it's like and how you enjoy it, what do you tell them? Yeah, so I'm loving it. Um, the standard's actually very, very good. It's a lot better than what I first thought when I first came out. I think, obviously, that my teammates at Sydney are, are obviously the, the better players in the league as well, of course. Um, 
but there is some very good players across the league and the standard, you know, from the outside looking in, from the perception from England is that it isn't very good, but when you come here and, and you sample it first hand, it is, um, and it's a lot better than what 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 I first thought, and I'm sure what everyone else watch, watching back home when they when they watch me in this year as well. Mm, interesting stuff. Well, good luck this weekend, and uh, that's part of a you know the Premier League might be off, but there is still a stack of football, and there's plenty on off the sport, of course, because we've got six straight mornings of Euro qualifiers, as I mentioned. Um, and it kicks off tomorrow morning with England against Montenegro, and they're at very friendly times at the moment, 6.45 a.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Time in the morning. We spoke about them off the field a little bit earlier on. Uh, they missed the chance to qualify automatically uh, the last time out. But um, who comes in for Raheem Sterling? The thing about England's side at the moment is it's pretty healthy. Yeah, of course. Um, you know, there's, a, there's sort of a, a riches of good young players now who are going to get their opportunity to play. Um, I think... Obviously, the front three normally speaks for itself with, with obviously uh, Kane, Sterling, Rashford, but someone will come in and obviously fill the void. Is, um, I'm saying know. Sancho. It's going to be Sancho or Hudson-Odoi. Um, and I think Sancho will get the nod because he, he he's playing well for his club uh, and every time he gets the ball, he's an exciting player. He's, he, yeah. he's forward-thinking. Mm. He takes his first touch, so I think that'll be a, a like for like in that position. Who's England's best striker? And it can include... Players that aren't available, i.e. Jamie Vardy. <laughs> Harry Kane, isn't it, surely? I think um, no one's better than him for England. Uh, hold up play, goal scoring. No talk, one's better than him. Talk that he might be rested for this game. Yeah, um, I could see that, yeah. And then the, that. They've rested Sterling. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> love that. <laughs> but there was, there were, and there was big calls saying, well, get Vardy in. I was listening to a radio interview on Talk Sport and they're saying, get Vardy in, get Vardy in. And, but basically, Vardy doesn't want to. He's enjoying yeah. these... I think he's enjoying at his age having the rest period that mm. he's getting and he's performing for his, his team. Um, but like you say, nobody comes close to Harry Kane. What's I don't know why Vardy would come back anyway, though. Yeah. Realistically, to play second fiddle, you know, yeah. um, England play one up top. Travelling away. Yeah, Kane's always going to be that one if he's if he's fit. So what's what's the point coming back and, you know, doing a stand-in yeah. for one game and then being on the bench again in, in some squads? I don't see the point of doing so, that when he's enjoying football. So will Marcus Rashford be consigned to pretty much living on the left for England for the next foreseeable future? Well, yeah. that, that's where he wants to play. Yeah, yeah I yeah. think that's his best position yeah. anyway. Um, wants to play there for United, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, I think when Mourinho explained it perfectly, I think you could see everything about Rashford in what he said when he said he's not a number nine who, you know, who plays back to goal. He's, he's a good player from the left who can come in, create opportunities for himself and other people and, and find their pockets in attack. Um, and you can just see that with Rashford anyway, that he's that sort of, you know, inside forward, you know, um, inverted winger where him and Marshall rotate from playing nine and playing obviously on the left and it works really well for him when, when they're playing in tandem. There's completely different traits and techniques to a number nine as opposed to a winger. When you're playing with your back to goal and you've got to lay off and you've got to bring others into the game or you've got to make little specific movements to take the defender away for your midfield runners, you, you learn that over time and when, you, when you've played, like I say, as a left, left-sided left player and he loves getting the ball and driving... To learn the trait from having to hold defenders or be crafty, in that it it's not easy, and defenders know that, and they'll just come in. I, I see when Rashford plays up top, if he's not making them runs in behind or his movements not as good, when United need that hold up play, say yeah, Pogba's on the ball and you're just looking for the little clip round the corner into the feet to release a midfielder, the defenders just come and knock him off the ball too easily. So he he's not enjoying his football playing there because he doesn't understand the role yet. Mm, interesting stuff. Well, they, they look. 
He, uh, he scored an absolute beauty last time out from England, playing a little bit wider. So he'll be hoping to do that again and get them through to the Euros. As the, look, there's some really interesting stuff to watch over the next couple of days. Um, in Group B, Portugal are not home and hosed in that automatic top two qualifiers by any stretch of the imagination. Now, remember, a lot of these countries have that double dip, of course, because the qualifying goes through from the Nations League. And then if you've qualified via the Nations League or via uh, the, the traditional format already, you get a, a second chance. Yeah. It wasn't the Nations League again. Well, it was Portugal. Yeah, there you go. And, and, but they're still <laughs> not qualified. So I'm not even going to try and explain how it works. All you need to know is top two from these groups go through. The playoffs are done via the Nations League. If those play teams have already qualified then you just go down the rung until someone hasn't so there's lots of chances for everyone but Portugal are not home and hosed in group C Netherlands and Germany are not home and hosed because Northern Ireland are being really plucky in their quest to get through group D is so tight Ireland Denmark Switzerland Georgia are all within up you can throw a blanket over them likewise in group E with Croatia Hungary Slovakia and Wales whereas in group H France should qualify, but they are level on points with Turkey. And Iceland, if they can cause some upsets, uh, can throw that group on its head as well. So that's a little bit of a summary. You can jump on the Optus Sport app, of course, to see all the tables, all the fixtures. And we'll have a bit of a summary for you today of who's who in the zoo, I suppose, in the qualifiers. But uh, just a, a, a quick statement from both of you, gents, what you're most looking forward to or intrigued by over the next six days. Next six days, I'm looking forward to Turkey against Iceland. Top two taking each other on. I'm really looking forward to seeing who comes out on top with this game and obviously watching England's two matches um, without Sterling (laughs) to see how they they cope. Yeah, of course, the England game, um, you know, we're looking to see who replaces Raheem, how they're going to line up and, you know, obviously get the, the right result for him and obviously looking forward to Sydney versus Melbourne. (laughs) <laughs> I was also a bit disappointed, Dave, that you talked about Group D and you said Ireland, Denmark on 12 points, Switzerland 11, Georgia on 8. You didn't even mention Gibraltar. It's That's a cracking, cool. cracking That's venue cool. for a holiday. <laughs> they might have no points, but that is one fixture that I would look at and think, I'm going to watch that away fixture because it is a bloody good island. Oh, here's a good yarn. We're going to finish off with a bit of a, well, it's a lighthearted note for us, not if you're a Napoli fan, because I don't know if you've seen, gents, how... Um, the club's in a massive crisis at the moment because uh, after a bit of a drip, dip in form, their club hierarchy wanted to punish them and send them on a, uh, I don't know, you could call it a retreat, you could call it a training camp. Carlo Ancelotti, who seems the man manager of all man managers, put it to the players, said absolutely not, defended the players. But actually it's really escalated because since then there've been um, players who've had their houses burgled, there've been uh, disputes with the club, there's been talk that the club will get cleaned out and have seven players leave, $300 million worth of talent go. Have you seen anything like this? I haven't, no, and I, I can't comment and give you any kind of reference or what I've witnessed in, in my career, Dave, but what I will say is that we lost Robbie Keane. Um, actually, no, we signed him, but when he came to Leeds United, he was, he'd was he been at Inter Milan, and Robbie was saying that the training camps pre-season were unbelievable, different to our culture in England, where we go and we have an intensive few weeks, and then we might go away for 10, 10 to 14 days. In Italy, said they were basically put in a camp for the, the six weeks in this training camp, uh, and that's how they dealt with it. He found it very hard. Originally, I think they do something at Christmas as well in the winter period, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that was the cultural thing. So I don't know if something's happened with their players. This must be what the, the club or the president or the chairman has said, this is how we do it. The players, Some of the players might have gone, well, we don't want to do it this time, yeah. or some of the players have gone, well, what's all this about? And the managers back the players to get yeah. the best out of them. Mm. I didn't see a big issue with that, but obviously results have gone against them and now the chairman's got the upper hand. The fans are blown up because it's become public knowledge. 
and it's a recipe for disaster. Could be the end of an era for this Napoli vintage. It's such a yeah. shame. What because they're such a strong team as well. You know, everyone's in, enjoyed watching them play, especially in the Champions League. You know, the front three, Insigne, Mertens, and obviously Callihan as well. They've been, you know, electric. Well, obviously it's not ending well yeah. for them there because... Obviously, the chairman's not happy with the way things are going on the pitch. Um, obviously, that's what you want from your manager to stick up for your players. But obviously, when the fans get involved and start burgling houses, then maybe it's time to you know back up and leave. Yeah, bizarre story. In- entertaining from our side of the world, but if you're a Naples fan, you'd be absolutely fuming and devastated. Gents, we've run out of time. Bridgie, good to see you as always. We'll see you around the traps again shortly. Thank you very much, Dave. Have a good week. And Adam, thank you very much. Great to have you here. Great to hear your thoughts. Hopefully not for the last time this season. <laughs> we'll not. pick your brains through the season and good luck this weekend. Cheers, gotta, thanks very much. Got to get him back on. Fantastic. Well, he's, he's, the, the door is always open, Adam. You're always welcome. Cheers, and, you. and you're only down the road at Sydney FC yeah, training, so we might, we might wheel this table over and bring it and have some sunshine and do it there next time. Yeah. But yeah, great to see you. Thanks very much. Cheers. Thanks very much. Thank you. And to everyone else out there, as always, enjoy your huge Euro 2020 uh, coverage over the next couple of days. And until the next Gagan Pod, as always, enjoy your football. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.